What's the last time you had a long conversation with someone radically different from you? Different life experience, values, politics, or perspective? If you're like a lot of people, maybe it's been a while. For me, it's not near often enough. I love getting a jolt from someone who's different than me. Like the guy I met who spent 12 years in solitary confinement. I mean, holy cow, what's that like? I'm Paul Vandekar, and this is Who Are You? Who Are You? is an experiment in the possibilities and limits of human understanding. It's a series of dialogues between very different people. The first person in the series, that's me, chooses someone very different than me. I spoke with a gun rights advocate named David. Then David chooses someone very different than him, in a different way, and they talk. Then that person chooses someone very different in turn, and so on. Each dialogue is edited into a podcast, and the participants blog about it later, so we learn how they feel about things in the weeks and months after. This is really a series about difference, not the usual saying about how we're all the same underneath and we all want the same things. That may or may not be true, but as this series progresses, we'll be exploring just how different people can be, and in what ways, and how they relate to each other. It's an experiment, and I thank you for joining us. In this first episode, you'll hear selections from my four-hour conversation with David, a gun rights advocate living in Pennsylvania. Now me, every time I read about yet another mass shooting, I think, how on earth can anyone believe that more guns will make us safer? Well, I'm about to find out. While this is respectful dialogue and everything, that doesn't mean that there should be no heat or no disagreement. Sure. Ideally, I'd like each of us to be as open and honest as possible. And ask tough questions, too. Like, if you think I'm full of shit, <laughs> tell me, like... I'm not a confrontational person by nature, but I do have passionate feelings about things, so... Mm-hmm. One of the things that really upsets me is that we never hear about the 300 million gun owners who didn't harm anybody today and won't harm anybody tomorrow and won't harm anybody next week. So I don't see a problem. I'm, I'm going to just put it right out there. I don't think we have a problem. I think the fact that roughly 33,000 people die in the United States by guns every year Mm -hmm. is a problem. Um, I have never owned a gun. Fair enough. Um, My parents never owned guns. I don't know if my grandparents did. (laughs) Um, So I grew up in this middle, upper middle class suburb of Boston called Brookline, and uh, it's very liberal, um, mostly white. Um, My parents were very liberal. I grew up in a very Republican household. My parents were, you know, well-to-do white folks living in Bucks County. My dad was a builder. My mom was a hygienist. We had a very nice country house. My dad worked at a homeless shelter for many years, and he worked Mm -hmm. at a nursing home. And Sounds like uh, a good guy. Yeah, totally. Very nice guy. So he cared just sort of about Poor people, I think, was kind of the bit, you know, poor people and old people. And he took odd jobs when he needed to. You know, sometimes he had two or three jobs just to, you know, when we were growing up and because there are four kids. I was brought up in a household of hunters and outdoorsmen. And I thought, hey, this is cool. This is what's supposed to happen. And like, then I met people who like were members of PETA and I met people who were, were like vegan. But it was kind of like, huh, what? Haven't you ever had a bloody deer steak? It's like the best thing in the entire world. I eat the heart. Soak it in milk and then you deep fry it with onions and peppers. And it's the best <laughs> thing in the entire world. And they're like, ah! you know, like looking at me aghast. But it's upbringing, you know. When I turned 21, I'm like, cool, I can get my pistol permit. Awesome. Got a gun, strapped it on. I was good to go. Because it never occurred to me not to. Just like it never occurred to you too. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect you to walk in the room with a six gun strapped to your hip, <laughs> you know? I don't imagine I would ever carry a gun myself. When I saw you come in and I saw that you were carrying a gun, there is something just unnerving about the fact that you could, or that, I mean, here is this weapon, <laughs> this yeah. powerful weapon, mm-hmm. uh, that could uh, easily do me in. So just to have that power in the room mm-hmm. is, yeah, it's a little scary. My mom hates guns. Uh-huh. Hates them. And I wear one to her house every time I go. I might get the, do you really have to have that thing on you right now? I will never, my mom's 72 years old. She's always hated guns. You can't talk to her about guns. I can tell her till I'm blue in the face, facts, figures. I can tell her what a good guy I am and the majority of gun owners are. She doesn't care. Uh huh. I've given up on that one. And when did you start hunting? 10, 11, 12. I enjoyed going with my dad out into the field. Mm-hmm. Hunting with a dog, hunting pheasants. I shot birds over my dog, Alice. She would point and I'd go up and she'd wiggle and then I'd say, go. She'd flush the bird and then we would have a pheasant for dinner that night. So yeah. it's beautiful to me. It's yeah. an American, beautiful, wonderful thing. Are you a good shot? I like to think I'm a decent shot. The gun is a tool. It's a great equalizer of people. It allows someone who's handicapped or it allows a small person or a weak person to be on the same footing as anyone else in a defense situation. There's a place for self-reliance, there's a place for self-defense, there's a place for all of these things that isn't bad. They preserve our freedom, they give pause to tyrannical governments, and they also can cause havoc. They also can cause havoc and destruction. But I think that's a, that's a minimum thing. It's a minimal thing that we hear about all the time. I intuitively agree with the idea that we were founded on guns. You know, obviously, the, this country was born in a revolution. Sure, sure. And I can understand why that clause was put in the Constitution. The Second Amendment uh, has only fairly recently been interpreted to mean that people can have kind of whatever guns they want, uh, dis- Supreme Court decisions, that has kind of loosened the the reins, so to speak, on gun ownership. Mm-hmm. And this tide of laws with, uh, you know, being able to purchase guns at gun shows without registration or licensing and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think it's just too free <laughs> or it's too open. Sure. Um, and sure. that there have to be some, what I would say are reasonable restrictions put on guns. A lot of people who are screaming for background checks don't realize we already have them. And if this person who wants to go shoot up a school has a clean record and doesn't have any indication of problems, they're going to be able to go into the store and buy a gun. They're going to be able to go shoot whoever they want. Right now I can kill both of you and the rest of the people on this floor, but I'm not going to. And neither are 99% of the people who own firearms. My feelings in Obama are mixed, frankly. I, have a, I struggle with him because I see him trying to do good but I also see him attempting to take away and curtail freedoms that I hold dear. So you're saying that there's this feeling of this encroachment on gun ownership rights? Or it's not rights. a feeling. It's, it's, well, you can look at the, each law that's been yeah. passed that's taken a piece of the pie. Obama was the first president I felt proud mm-hmm. as an American uh, because we had elected him. I am proud of the fact that New York City and New York State have some of the strongest gun laws in the country or gun control laws in the country. Okay. Gun deaths are, to my knowledge, lower per capita uh, in the city and in the state than they are elsewhere. 
and that similarly in other countries, although they have different historical contexts mm -hmm. which complicate matters, sure. where there is more uh, restriction on gun ownership and gun access, there are fewer gun deaths and less gun violence. And I think that's a good thing. Sure. So that leads me to believe we should have you know, more restrictions on guns. Sure. I mean, what's really great about having this discussion right now is that the Oregon thing just happened. You know, some crazy dude shot some people in a school. Hor horrific, horrible. The, the idea that more gun laws would have stopped this or the idea that more gun laws are necessary is such a flawed premise that I, I am literally baffled when I speak to my liberal and progressive friends about it because they seem to think that it would have made a difference on, in any of these cases. And the reality is, is that the only people who are going to obey these new laws are people like me who follow the law. The problem with background checks is they don't prosecute people who fail them. Mm -hmm. Because you can't really do that at a gun store. The guy can just turn and run out when he sees that he failed the thing. Yeah. And he's gone. But I mean, they should nab that dude. He was a convicted felon who just tried to buy a gun in a gun store. Mm -hmm. The reason that's so rare is because felons don't buy guns at gun stores. Mm -hmm. They buy them on the street. Gun control is the easy thing to throw up there and it just doesn't work. How do you feel when these shootings happen? I feel horrified and, and saddened um, by it, as any rational person would. Um, I feel like that more should have been done to prevent it from happening. This boy, who we're, we're quick to call crazy, he wasn't crazy at all. He methodically planned this. He went to a gun store, he passed background checks. He purchased these firearms, which are handguns. These people weren't insane. They had a problem. They were uncared for. They wanted attention. How would you propose if it's possible that we reduce the number of mass shootings? I would arm the people that are on site. We have armed guards in our banks. We have armed guards in police departments. We have armed guards outside of, st of, of stadiums. Anything we value, guess how we protect it? With guns. Because we can stop bad people from doing bad things at that place where things are valued. Aren't my freaking children valuable? Don't you value your children? People come to me and they say, oh, but David, I can't envision a world where my, my son's school has been turned into an armed encampment. Really? Can you, vision, can you envision your child with a bullet hole in their head? Be practical for once. The only reasonable common sense step I can think of if you don't want the occasional child shot is to put competent armed people on site right there. It would mitigate, it wouldn't stop it but it would mitigate it. Instead of nine people dying, maybe only two would die. But short of having an armed person in these facilities, there's nothing logically that I can think of that would prevent these deaths. You know, it seems that having a trained person mm -hmm. on site at every school mm -hmm. is one thing. Yes. But having a kind of open door policy about, you know, everybody's armed, Mm -hmm. and you know, trying to stop a shooter, mm -hmm. you're just gonna end up with a shootout and more people dead. The classic liberal progressive argument is the blood in the streets argument. The idea that if everybody had guns, we'd have a Wild West shootout over grocery carts and all that, it's utter nonsense. It's never happened. In fact, just the opposite has happened. Um, there would only be a few people willing to step up and do it. So instead of having everyone armed, what you would have is a handful of people who would, would, would feel comfortable taking the responsibility of walking around the campus armed, you would still have the criminals carrying illegally. You would still have a crazy person with the ability to walk onto campus. That will never change.
That is the thing that, w that is completely unregulatable. If you make a gun-free zone, which I think is the most unsafe, horrible thing ever created, thank you, George Bush, having a gun-free zone is an advertisement to crazy people to come and shoot up the campus. So Sorry, was Roseburg a gun-free zone? Oh, yeah. It was, okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. The campus was. The campus. And a, and a crazy person or a person who's plotted a shooting isn't going to obey those laws. He's going to find a way around them because that's what criminals do. They find their way around the law. So it annoys me that with each shooting there's this fervor of gun control. So that's a, that's a thing that is probably my primary irritation with Obama's administration. Because they're the same tired old responses to this problem. Well, let me pick up on this thing about Obama. Okay, if there was, uh, there was an increase in gun purchasing uh, when he was elected. Massive uh, increase. A lot of that is due to just this paranoia about a black man taking office. Okay, agreed. I half agree with you. Mm -hmm. It's not a paranoia about a black man taking office. It's a paranoia about a liberal Democrat taking office. Because historically, liberal Democrats have introduced restrictive, more and more restrictive gun laws. They've banned, they've tried to ban things. Clinton actually did a assault weapons ban. Yes, historically when Democrats come into office there's a spike in buying because people are afraid things are gonna get banned, as they have in the past. It's reactionary. Maybe I just sort of am accepting the liberal dogma on guns, and yet at the same time I can't help but feel that maybe you're not representative of most gun owners. I mean, I, I buy that you're representative of most gun owners you know, mm -hmm. but I can't help but feel that that gun ownership is just so tied up with race in this country and racism. Many people's feelings about gun ownership are based on this fear of black people, um, you know, taking over or like black man coming in and raping my wife right. or, you know, black people overrunning the cities and, you know, the presidency and the White House and, you know, that that's what's driving the NRA's power. That's what's driving gun sales. It's such a caricature and it's so old and it's so out of date and it's such a, it's not any, it's a surprise to me because it's nothing that I've ever encountered in my life. And I've been to the South and I've been to the North and I've been to the West and I, I've known gun owners all across this country. And those particular fears and words have never come out of any of their mouths. I mean, KKK members, white supremacists, any of the other organizations, the racial purity organizations. Of course, of course that exists. And owning firearms is a way that we can purify the land or we can defend our women. But I mean, those, those are things, those quotes that you were saying with all due respect sound like they're coming out of old history books. Most of the people I meet are just ordinary, normal people who want to live and let live. But the, the bare fact of the matter is we as a civilized society hire less civilized people to kill other people for us. We hire the cops to kill other people for us. We hire the military to kill other people for us. We are just too much of panty wastes to do it ourselves. But we'll hire other brutish people to protect us. Is something that something that bothers you about liberals? It doesn't bother me about liberals. It makes me sad to think that there are people who would rely on others for their protection and wouldn't take some basic steps to protect themselves. The cops can't walk around with you. And if I want to take a modicum of responsibility for my and my family's well-being, I make this decision. And I look at my daughter and I become so emotional because she is this beautiful, precious thing. The birth of my daughter made me acutely aware of the fragility of life and the need to defend it and keep it healthy.
And just looking at her face and seeing how innocent and defenseless she is. And I let myself sort of see the horror in the world. What right do I have to subject her to that kind of a life? And what can I do to prepare her to be safe? And it, it just basically reinforces my, my desire to be a protector, a defender. Here's one thing I just don't get mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to gun owners and gun advocates. Sure. You know, the, the idea that like someone is going to break into your home, mm -hmm. it's so extraordinarily rare. You know, like... It's getting rarer. Know. Yeah. It's getting rarer, yes. Yeah. It's getting rare. We've and, determined um, that. I mean, if that's the kind of scenario that a lot of gun mm -hmm. owners are worried about, I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, what's what's the worry? Well, the worry you know? is that the worry is that I got carjacked when I worked in Philadelphia. I went in and bought a sandwich at Sunoco when I was working the late shift, and this enormous dude tried to carjack me as I went back to my car, and he had something in his pockets. Don't know what it was, mm -hmm. but I told him I said, "Listen, if you move your hands towards your jacket, I'm going to shoot you in the face." And he put his hands up, said, "Okay, man, it's all good. It's all good." And this is after approaching me very aggressively and telling me to give me the keys to my car or he was gonna kill me. Uh -huh. Now, that was a one-time thing that happened to me, but it was enough to cement for me the desire to have an option. It's only there in the rare occasion that I would need it. There's some wide contention on the amount of defensive gun uses in this country every year. A handgun Control Incorporated, James Brady's old uh -huh. organization, yeah. they have it on the low end at about 100,000 a year, defensive handgun uses. People like John Lott and other scholars put it closer to 1.2 to 1.5 million defensive gun uses every year. And this doesn't mean anybody got shot. It means they defended themselves. Most cases, people don't get shot. Burglars go, oh shit, and they leave. So even in the case of your attempted carjacking, yes. just when you held out the gun, that's the use it of the gun. It diffused the situation. Yeah. I, I, said, I said, beat your feet, go. The man turned and ran. But the point is that a lot of this stuff doesn't even get reported. So there's probably a lot more of these effective handgun or other gun defenses that don't even get reported. If it's in a home, it tends to get reported. But on the street? Not so much. No, not so much. And aside from all the kind of information and the facts, mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel carrying a gun, let's say, or how do you feel about these? This is one of the things that I think defines liberals, and that's feelings. I think liberals place too much emphasis on feelings. You know, I don't think about it much. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you when I think about it. I think about it when I go like this in New York and I don't have it. I think about it when I have to put it back in the gun safe at night. The responsibility feelings are strong. Now, is that fear? No, it's responsibility. It's not fear. It's I don't want to leave this gun anywhere else but on my hip or in the safe because then it's available to other people by my, besides myself. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more of an awareness. It's more of an awareness of responsibility. Where are my keys? Where's my wallet? Awareness of your surroundings is really important. Not because I walk around in a state of, oh my God, I'm going to get mugged, but just awareness. I know where the exits are in this room. I, I detected them when I walked in the building. I wouldn't want to sit with my back to the door. When I go to a restaurant, I sit in the corner and I note where the exits are. Uh -huh. I do my normal everyday precautions, keeping my head up, making eye contact with everybody that I see, letting mm -hmm. them know that I'm aware basic things that I've learned over the years to keep me and my family safe. There's no paranoia, there's no fear. I lead a fun, relaxed life. 
if I had to defend my baby or my wife or myself, I mm-hmm. would kill someone. Yeah. I, I'd feel real bad about it. And I'd probably spend a lot of years in therapy afterwards. Uh-huh. Because I'm a sensitive person yeah. and I, I, have a, I value human life, but I value my life and my family's life more than mm-hmm. a criminal's life. Look, stuff is stuff. I don't care if you take my DVD player. I don't care if you steal my car. Take it. I'm insured. But if you threaten my family or myself, I will attempt to stop you. No, but in that case, you used your gun when he was just trying to steal your car. Yeah. Uh, well, he threatened to kill me. Threatened to kill you. He did threaten me. If yes. you didn't give him your car. He was between me and the vehicle, uh-huh. and I felt very unsafe. Even if he hadn't said anything to me, I would have drawn my weapon. If, if he reached for his coat or attempted to move towards me, I would have shot him. And I would have been justified in doing so. I grew up walking home at all hours of night, mm-hmm. um, never felt threatened right. by anything. I mean, I felt supremely safe. Mm-hmm. I had cops who were neighbors, sure. you know, neighbors who were cops, I guess you would yeah, put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Uh, I didn't necessarily know them, but at least I, you know, sort of knew some of them by sight. So, you know, I think it never came up that we would need a gun. Sure, I get that. And I I realize I'm far different than a lot of people in that respect, you know. I suppose it's an article of faith that growing up in that situation that guns not cause violence, but they're instruments of violence. Uh, And that the more guns you have, the worse it's gonna be. A, a logical article of faith, a logical yeah. feeling conclusion. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's also an article of faith that you were safe. It's always an article of faith that you feel safe. Are you safe? Yeah. The answer is no, none of us are safe at any time. You know although, what I mean? Yeah, although I think statistically speaking, I was oh, safe. Of course, and Absolutely. statistically speaking, I'm safe. Statistically speaking. Uh-huh. But then there's the crazy man, then yeah. there's the burglar. You may have heard the term sheepdog applied to certain people who carry firearms. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't. We consider ourselves sheepdogs. We protect the flock. When you choose to carry a firearm every day, you, it is your responsibility to care for others who do not, who, who cannot. And we, a lot of us take that responsibility very seriously. It's only that tiny portion of wack, wackadoodles who give it a bad name. And, I, and I, that's one of the things that really makes me sad. You know, one thing that I've learned today in talking with you is uh, one thing that surprised me, I suppose, was just how much I agreed with you on things that I would not have expected to agree with you on. That's not to say that I'm going to join the NRA right now or buy some guns, um, but that I think you've made a reasonable case if you had been somebody different, like if, you know, if we had found somebody who was totally a, a wacko about guns yeah. or who, you know, was just far right wing or whose politics about guns were tied up with some kind of racist ideology or something like sure. that, that I would not have changed. I would have actually become more entrenched in my own feelings about guns. Yeah, I've, I've sort of changed my views on that a little bit. One thing that I've learned from our discourse and conversation today is that people who I may have assumed in, in, in the past to just have this elitist, detached mindset about certain things have genuine emotional and upbringing issues that color their views and that you can't 
again, it's been reaffirmed for me that you cannot judge groups of people. You can, ju- you can judge individuals after speaking with them. But I've learned yet again that, you know, people are products of their upbringing, they're products of their experience. And when experiences are utterly different, then you have utterly different desires and, and things that you believe in and that you can't fault people for those things. You can only talk with them. You can only have an interchange. And then they still need to be the ones to make decisions themselves. So for me, I've learned that, again, people need to be addressed on an individual level, not painted with a broad brush as a group. It's a little unsettling to think like, oh gosh, have I been too ideological about this? Maybe, I don't know. Thank you, first of all. And second of all, we'll all have room to put our beliefs under the microscope. We should be constantly testing and reevaluating our beliefs and where they come from. Thanks for listening to Who Are You? I'm Paul Vandekar. For photos from my dialogue with David, follow-up blog posts from each of us, and the next dialogue in the series, please visit the project website at www.whoareyouproject.org. Who Are You? is directed by me and produced by Allison Byrne. It is a project of working narratives. Many thanks to the Germanicos Foundation for their support to launch this project. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in next time.